It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, figure skating legend and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. And coach, I am on the road again. I'm actually coming to you uh, to open the podcast from the San Diego International Airport on my way back to home base in North Carolina after speaking at the Swimming Coaches Convention for the last couple of days. Great time, great group of coaches, and we got a lot accomplished, a lot done. Uh, Three good sessions in two days. So I'm tired, but I am excited to bring you uh, this week's podcast episode. And that's why I wanted to get to it before I boarded my plane and jetted home uh, to get off the road again. Um, Today's guest is somebody that a lot of you are going to be familiar with, and uh, it's John Brubaker. Now, Coach Brew, as he is affectionately known, if you follow him, at Coach Brew, B-R-U, on Twitter, Uh, and you've heard him speak maybe at the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference or you have brought him to your school to speak to your staff because he works with colleges and even professional teams all over the country, Um, you know what his story is. He is a former college lacrosse coach who decided to leave coaching and pursue other things, and one of those other things was becoming an author, a speaker, a consultant, and he does that now all over the country. He just released a new book, which uh, I've been excited to talk about uh, with him for all of you, for coaches, because I think it's a book that is going to belong in your coaching library. And uh, the book is Stadium Status. And I'm going to let, in our conversation, Coach Brew explain everything. And what John Brubaker does in this book is, is, just to give you a quick summary as we lead into the conversation, he went through different people, a lot of them from the entertainment industry, that have achieved what he would describe as stadium status. In other words, they are, they've created such a unique brand, they have created such a unique story about themselves that they sell out stadiums. They are a destination for their fans and people who love rock and roll, love country, whatever the, the music is. He went and he interviewed a lot of these uh, um, individuals, and he's done research on other leaders in their respective industries and found out what they did to achieve their, their stadium status. And the lessons in this book are so key for coaches, not only in the recruiting game that you play, but also just in forming the right kind of uh, reputation and brand for your program that your fans, alums, and future recruits and your current players gravitate to. So I want to get right to the conversation because it was a long one, a really, really good one, and I'm anxious for you to listen to it and and learn from it. And we started it out very simply, I think, with Coach Brew. We asked him, what is stadium status and how does somebody achieve stadium status? That scholarly journal, UrbanDictionary.com, Define stadium status to mean a big enough star that you could fill an entire stadium when performing a concert. You know you're big once you've achieved, quote, stadium status. Got it. Okay, so, and I know the book revolves a lot around, uh, you know, performers or people that would normally fill up a stadium and, you know, draw that crowd. There's a reason to go see that uh, that performer, that entertainer. 
So very quickly, I want to focus this back on to college coaches. So for the coach that's listening and they're a first-time head coach, maybe they're young into leading a program or they're a, a Division three assistant coach, this is their, their first coaching job and they're still trying to learn the ropes. How, how does stadium status apply to them in their careers right now? Stadium status applies to them because the stadium status, the truly stadium status performers didn't arrive at stadium status by doing the same thing everybody else does. Okay. They blazed their own trail and they did it. I wouldn't even say a little differently. I'd say they did a lot differently. And there's an old saying, success leaves clues. Well, I, I went and found those clues in a variety. You'd mentioned entertainers. It's not a, not only entertainers, Dan, but anyone who calls the stadium their office. You know, uh, mm-hmm. interviews or anecdotes from strategies they've used that I've then gone and tested and used myself with, you know, my clients right. or my own business. So it's all road tested. How it applies to, let's say, a uh, small college coach, Division three coach, right. is, you know, most of us recruit the way we were recruited as athletes. No one went to college and majored in recruitment. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's... Until Tudor University, there was no right. curriculum. See what I did yeah. there? Nice yeah. little subtle plug. That, that Tudor is. University. I, I appreciate it. Uh, there's no curriculum until now. So we've done the same thing that everyone else has done. Right. And that's going to, you know, everyone likes to use the buzzword in business and even in academia, best practices. Well, here's the problem with best practices is they're common practices because everybody's doing it. And that's not how you get a freaking awesome campus visit, Dan Tudor. <laughs> that's right. Another plug for that book. Thank you. So, okay, but let me let me stop you there because <clears throat> coaches coach in an environment on a college campus and many of them, you know, follow the rules laid out by the NCAA and their athletic department. And those are just by design a little constrictive, uh, and so I think the 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 I'll say the average coach certainly a newer coach that doesn't want to mess up they want to make this their career and so they they have the the tendency to play it safe is listening to what you just said and say well easy for you to say John because you're talking about entertainers you're talking about people who can take wild risks and. You know, and become these this unique property. Well, I have to follow my head coach's rules, or my athletic department, or the NCAA. There's only certain things that I can do, and and so I can't be creative. I have to be like everybody else. What what would you come back and and answer that coach who? And I know there are coaches that are listening to that. That's the first thing that popped into their head. How do you answer that? How I answer it is you. Take a page out of somebody else's book. You know, um, that's an objection, mm-hmm. and that's not a real objection. They're, the real reason why they would say that is, is they're afraid of what might happen. I think there's a legitimate fear of success. Right. 
And I think by stepping outside of your comfort zone, I'll give you a great example. Blake Anderson, the head football coach at Arkansas State University, uh, is the most outside-of-the-box, creative, within-the-rules thinker and recruiter that I I think you're going to meet. He is a stadium status recruiter. Uh, I feature him in the book for that reason. And he's just done some things that uh, they're perfectly within the confines of the NCAA and institutional rules. But they're different, and they're a little uh, not outside the box. But right. like, there is no box for what he does. He, um, you know, his staff meetings. He asks the question, "What's one thing we can do that no one else does, or no one else can do?" And you'll probably recall ESPN, Sports Illustrated, all the major media outlets covered this. He auctioned off being a coach for the day right. for their spring game. Right on ebay right it was a huge huge fundraiser but i would argue the success the true success wasn't the fundraiser it was the attention right that that small you know sunbelt conference program got not just in the state of arkansas you know when the flagship universities down the road and they're in the sec but nationally to the point where the NCAA stepped in and said, mm, is this legal? They couldn't find a single reason why it wouldn't be legal. <laughs> right. And it's just another way of engaging and mobilizing your boosters, your fan base. Uh, it's it's so yeah. creative that I wish everyone took the approach with their staff and with their recruiting. What's one thing we can do that nobody else does? Right. And I, I give countless other examples in the book of that. You know, from other people that call the stadium the office, but that's the jumping off point for, you know, the small college coach, the Division three assistant mm-hmm. who's trying to work their way up the ladder or make a name for themselves or even just make their head coach look good is let's get creative because that's what wins. We're in it. You know, the economy has changed and the landscape of, I'm not even talking about like the financial economy. I'm just talking about, you know, how we market to people. We're, we're in an attention economy. Like that's the most valuable commodity right. there is right now is capitalizing on people's attention. As you, and that's the way to do as it. As you were telling that story, I thought about the uh, 30 for 30 special on ESPN on John, uh, John Calipari, the basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. And there was an element, I didn't even put it together until you were just talking about this, where he has embraced the one-and-done aspect of college basketball. It was sort of the dirty little, you know, thing that coaches never really liked to talk about before, you know, or it uh, it didn't seem right that a kid would come in, play for a year, and then go to the NBA. And, you know, college athletics sort of has frowned on it. And what John Calipari did, and they talk about it in the, the documentary, is basically say, hey, if I can take a kid who grew up in an inner city and has a family he needs to take care of, and they can come here for a year and then be good enough to go into the NBA and sign a $12 million contract that changes the life of their family, who am I as a coach to prevent that? Heck yes, I'm going to do that every chance I get because I owe it to these kids. And so, I mean, even... You could even take a philosophy that's controversial or a philosophy that is the norm and you can be the coach that says, nope, I'm going to I'm gonna tweak it and go the other way. Um, so it was interesting to hear him talk about, about that. Uh, and obviously, 
you know, if you're a, a kid who thinks she has that, that you have that talent and you're going to want to do that, then he's going to be one of the people that you're going to probably think of taking a serious look at because he has a history of doing it and he has embraced it. Um, you talk about the marketing message behind that, mm-hmm. and this is factual uh, because uh, I, I've heard him speak on this. University of Kentucky Wildcat basketball has produced more millionaires than the Gatton College of Business and Economics MBA program at the University of Kentucky. You talk about positioning and marketing and it's... But but I think it goes back to that that principle that you're talking about is the importance of risk taking and in in the book as you were doing research is that a common element for people to achieve stadium status whether it's a coach or an entertainer did you have to take risks is that one of the sort of essential components of of being a stadium status individual a- absolutely there has to be number one uh, you have to take chances and risk. I would prefer to use the term experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's afraid of risk and everyone's, you know, their natural fear of change. But instead of viewing well, and something... And failure, too, as, because, yeah, and because failure. an experiment could go wrong. And, and, yeah, we have, especially a younger coach might be, uh, you know, scared of the idea of failure. So that's a great point. Sure. So, like, we're, we have a fear of change, fear of failure, um, so instead of calling it a risk or change, look at it as an experiment. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, can you tweak it a little? Can right. you you know can you adjust the ingredients a little sure. bit to get a better result? And if not, throw it throw it away, scrap it. But that's what you've seen. You know these uh, stadium status performers aren't risk averse, and they also um, have a bias towards action. You know they're mm-hmm. very and, and I think. You know, college coaches are very entrepreneurial as well, but you know, stadium status performers are entrepreneurial, and they have a bias towards action. They're going to try something, and they're going to experiment, and they're going to adjust on the fly. You know, it's no different than the coach in the game. You know, calling timeout and making an adjustment right. or a halftime adjustment. You know, if only we did that a little more. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Off the field. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what we talked about risk being one of the other, one of the essential elements of achieving stadium status. And again, with the coaches in mind that are listening to this, give me two or three other things that you would say are must have ingredients for people to really make a name for themselves and achieve great things in their career. Sure. And it's the same, the three things I'm about to share are actually the three sections of the book and the stadium status formula, and that's vision, execution, and connection. Got it. You have to have a vision of where you want to be, where you want your career to be, what you want your recruiting class to look like. You have to have a vision of that before you even get started because, you know, everything happens twice. First you go there in your mind and then it happens in reality. Uh, but if it doesn't happen in your mind first, you don't have that vision, you're really sabotaging your chances. Got it. So if it, if something, where do you feel like most people who fall short of achieving stadium status or just don't do it the right way, at what point does that happen? Like in those three steps or those three, those three components that you just mentioned, where, where do most people make the mistake or fail to do it or don't take that part of it seriously? I think most people, the mistake or the trap they fall into 
is they're chasing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in business. I'll give you a business parallel, and then I will give you um, the college recruiting parallel in business people are uh, and organizations are making decisions based on the financials this right. month this quarter you'll see you know companies lay off people um, just to make the books look better to appease their shareholders at the end of the month and you see the same thing in recruiting you know they're chasing it might be numbers they're chasing what they think might be the best player right. as opposed to chasing the process of identifying and recruiting the right player. So I like to say chase excellence and the dollars will find mm-hmm. you. You chase excellence in the process and the right prospects will be attracted to your program. Right. So I think that's the trap is we get caught up in this numbers game. And yes, it is a numbers game, but we need to get caught up in chasing excellence, not chasing numbers. Okay, so at this point, I can almost hear a lot of the coaches listening to this saying, hey, this is starting to make sense. I get it. And yeah, I want to achieve stadium status, as Coach Brubaker is talking about in his new book. But the question then becomes, what is it that I need to do first as a coach? Well, the first thing I'd have a coach do is realize that you need to look at not just your season or your class or, you you need to look at your career from the stadium backwards. So, you know, going back Mm -hmm. to that small college division three assistant, perhaps, or anyone else, but you know, that's a great example that you gave is look at your career from the stadium backwards. And that's an example from an interview I actually did with the country band Parma Lee, uh, who are from not too far away from where you live. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parmalee, North Carolina, and they're a small, small town, you know, local kind of band who faced a lot of adversity, uh, didn't, you know, couldn't get a record deal, didn't have a lot of traction. Uh, I won't go into the whole story of, you know, uh, the tragedy that struck them at one point in their journey, but, you know, Matt Thomas, their front man, said something to me when I was talking with them. He said, you know, we've always, even when we were just playing local gigs, like at, you know, um, a local school or, you know, the local tavern, we always viewed our career from the stadium backwards. And I think that that's where the vision starts. Right. You know, back before they, back before they had uh, even a regional presence, they were just a local band, but they viewed themselves as stadium status. So it starts, you know, it's a state of mind and speaking as a former recovering college coach, <laughs> uh, you know, what I tried to do and, you know, people thought I was insane. Maybe they just weren't crazy enough, but I inherited an awful team when I first became a head coach. And the first thing I did when we wrote out our schedule was I included the conference championship, the first round of the NCAA tournament, all the way through to the NCAA championships on Memorial Day weekend. And people were looking at me like I was nuts. You know, my first year we were five and five. Right. We lost the first five games on the road and we lost the next five games at home. Um, 
but I think it starts with that vision of where you want to go. And if you don't have clarity on that, I don't think you have anything. Okay, so let's let's did 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 you get the quick math there? Yeah. <laughs> five and five. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what are the things that you've seen? And, and and you did a lot of research for the book, and you talked to a lot of people. This isn't just your philosophy and your thought. You actually, the great thing about it is you took real life examples that people can learn from. And I'm just wondering because we talked about what to do and what is the thing that uh, that. You know, all these bands had or you know entertainers had or individuals had in their success. I guess I'm just wondering if you look back at your coaching career and you have probably now realized, oh, I should have done it this way or I really messed up by doing it that way. What are the things, can you give me one or two things that you would have changed about the way you approached it as a coach? And I ask that because I think other coaches love to learn from their peers and what they either did wrong or learned through a process so that they can skip over that learning and just jump right to the success. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, everything that you've talked about, how does that, if you look back at your coaching career as a lacrosse coach, where, give me like one or two things that you would have done differently now knowing what you know. It's a great question. The number one thing I would do differently if I could go back and do it all again, was I would add what I call a shade of gray to either formally to my staff or informally just as a resource. I'm not talking about 50 shades of gray. Get your minds out of the gutter, people. (laughs) What I'm talking about is I go out and find a mentor, you know, who had gray hair. Like if you either didn't have any hair or you don't, if you either need to have gray hair or no hair. So I know you've got a, a wealth of life experience in the profession and I would lean on them, you know, for advice, strategy, counsel. I think one of the things that we get, we get so caught up in being the one, you know, in the front of the meeting room in the front of the locker room, you know, sitting, uh, sitting in the head coach's chair, we get, we're expected to have all the answers you know, by our players right, and by our staff, right. when in reality, instead of having to look inward for all the answers, look outward to a mentor. And, you know, the best example of this that I saw was Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. When he uh, took over at Florida, he attributed, someone asked him in an interview, what, what was your key to success at Florida? And he said that it was in 2003, he hired a guy named Hiram DeFries who's a retired lawyer and oil exec. And he hired him to be his team's chemistry coach. And legitimately, the only thing in this guy's job description was make sure everybody's on the same page on and off the field. Hmm. And two national championships, four conference championships later, you know, Urban Meyer thinks that this guy was more important to their success than anything else is – to demonstrate just how valuable he felt having that shade of gray and that, you know, uh, life experience and wisdom was when he left Florida, went to Ohio state, he had it written in his contract that he could bring one person with him. And that was who he called his chemistry coach. And that was Hiram DeFreeze. Wow. Anything about the success they've had now right. at Ohio right. state, you know? Um, so I wish I would have leaned on somebody, you know, uh, a coaching veteran, it wouldn't even necessarily have to be someone with college coaching experience or, you know, a ton of coaching experience, but a ton of life experience who is successful in another realm and could just impart some of that wisdom on me. 
as often as possible. Right. I think those mentors are out there. We just have to go find right. them. Right. And it's that's an active an active thing that, you know, a younger coach or even a first-time head coach can do uh, or should do is actively look for the people that they can lean on. And that may not be I just from experience and seeing how coaches have done it right, that may not be a person at your school. It may not be a person in your sport, but another coach in a different sport um because as you know, coaches get kind of territorial and they don't want maybe people in their peer group to know that they're struggling with something or that they have a question or don't know how to do something. And so sometimes it's easier if you have a friend or that that um, uh, that advisor and mentor at another another school. But the point is that you're well well taken that you just said, John, is you got to find somebody. And um, so that's uh, that's. That's a fantastic point. Well, I think it's it's irresponsible, Dan, for a coach not to go out and find that person. Like as I look back, that was my biggest mistake. It was incredibly irresponsible of me because if you want your players, you're telling your players they need to be coachable and they need you as their coach. You're not walking your talk if you don't have someone coaching you. Right. It rings hollow to them and they can sniff that out. So think about the credibility that, like, say, an Urban Meyer gained by having this person on staff who he looked to for counsel and accepted those suggestions, welcomed that input, right. and implemented it. Like, wow, okay, we're going to be a little more coachable because we see our coach walking his talk. Right, right. Do, do you think that changes? I mean, you bring up an example, you know, for instance, you know, Urban Meyer hiring a, the chemistry coach and – and some of the other people at, at high levels that you just hear the stories about, they get publicity. Um, the small school, the mid-level D1, the Division II school, or just the D1 sport that doesn't have the huge budget that football, basketball does. I, I see, I'm not even sure how to ask this question, but I see a lot of coaches struggling with the idea that they can be creative, that they should be you know, creative and take risks because, well, but we just have this, or we only this, or I don't get as much as whatever. And I'm going to maybe have you go back to that idea of creativity for that coach. Maybe it starts with a mindset that, that it sounds like the wrong mindset that a lot of coaches go into program development or, or how they view themselves. Uh, maybe they just have that, that wrong mindset. It's Maybe that's what I'm. Maybe maybe it's not so much a question; it's a statement. So maybe play off of that statement and let me know what you think about that. Sure, I think uh, there's a natural tendency for people to approach things with a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. To to look at the negative, what we don't have, as opposed to the positive, what we do have. Mm-hmm. And we need to we need to capitalize on our strengths and leverage the resources we do have because the reality of it is if you're a small private tuition driven school what are the odds of your budget really increasing to the point where you're going to get even a fraction of everything right. that you want anyway it's unrealistic maybe, maybe here, here's where maybe i'm, I'm going with yeah. that is i what i hear you say and i was thinking about this as you were talking you can't wait. You can't wait for the perfect situation to begin building stadium status. So, Parmalee, that you mentioned the the band, the country uh, band. You know, had they waited for the record deal, had they waited for uh, the the big break, and not t- been proactive in in 
you know, thinking creatively, being positive, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. And maybe that's the same for coaches is that I think there's this, this, um, this problem throughout college athletics of coaches waiting for stuff to happen to them that then makes them successful. And the big thing that I'm hearing you talk about is you can't wait. You have to be proactive in, in taking a hand into making it happen. Yeah, you have to bet on yourself and you have to create your own opportunities. So the example I gave with Parmalee is you want to talk about going all in, pushing all your chips to the middle of the table and betting on yourself. They each had, like I know Matt Thomas had at least $120,000 in credit card debt at like 36% interest at one point, <laughs> he was telling me. But that's the extent to which they bet on themselves. They went out and got an RV. They couldn't afford a tour bus. They went out and got an RV that, you know, paid for the gas to get from one gig to the next with the credit card, you know, for equipment and what have you. But they were betting the whole time. This is the beauty of it. The whole time is they weren't waiting to be discovered. They were going out there and getting in front of audiences and respecting their audiences and treating them to a mind-blowing experience. Right all the while betting on themselves and they had a bias we go back to what I said earlier they had a bias towards action and I would argue that they they had faith and trust that things would work out in the end right and that's why it did so okay so let's let's begin to develop an action plan I also want to ask you about can I yeah, add yep. can I add a disclaimer you Dan may. I am not suggesting that a coach take the school credit card <laughs> and go out and max it out to purchase whatever equipment you think you need that you, you don't have in your budget. So like if there's an athletic director listening, I, I assure you that was not the intent of my message. Well, for the athletic director that's listening, you just made him or her think to themselves, wow, I'm glad I instituted those spending limits on those cards. <laughs> exactly. So um, I think we're, I think we're safe, but that is the, yeah, that's a, your, your disclaimer is uh, is duly noted. So for the coach that's out there, uh, and I ask you this, and I do want you to talk about a little bit about what you're going to be talking about at the 2017 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, because we're thrilled to have you back there. Um, but, but for the coach that's looking for an action plan, kind of lay that out. What are the things that you know, you've, you've talked about the philosophy, you've talked about what coaches should and shouldn't do generally, but now you have this coach that's listening saying, okay, I, you know what, I'm, I'm all in Coach Brew, and I'm going to get the book, but I'm also going to, I, I want to start this now. I, I don't want to be just another ordinary coach, another ordinary recruiter, another person just going through the, you know, the motions. I want to create a dynamic coaching career for myself. Can you lay out what your recommendations would be Again, coming from a former coach, the first three or four things that they should do right now, today, as they stop listening to this podcast, to start that process, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. Yeah, the number one thing you need to do is you need to go buy real estate. And what I mean by that is you need to buy the domain name. Let's say Dan Tudor is a college coach. Mm -hmm. You need to buy dantutor.com. You also need to go buy firedantutor.com <laughs> because, again, beginning, you know, working from the stadium back, like we talked about, and having that vision, there will come a day when your brand reaches the status 
we could call it stadium status. There will come a day where you reach that point where there will be haters. And they're going to try and purchase firedantutor.com. Fortunately, you're self-employed, as am I, so that is a non-issue for us. (laughs) But... For the coach out there, you want to buy, you, you want to invest in that real estate because that's part of your brand. You know, I think you can get a domain name for like six dollars. Spend the twelve dollars and get those Absolutely. two domains. Uh, there's a great resource in episode number two of College Recruiting Weekly, which features Jeff Osterman. That's right. I think Jeff has done a fabulous job, probably better than anybody and he's, I've and ever he's the, encountered. Just for anybody who doesn't know, he is the associate coach at the University of South Florida women's basketball program and he is I think one of the best coaches slash branders that I've ever met and just you know fantastic person as well and I know you know him and and so yeah that episode two in our podcast lineup does a great job of him just talking about how he has branded himself and how any coach can do that so thanks for that reference that's a good one. Absolutely. And, you know, Jeff's the kind of guy that if you reach out to him, he's, he's, you know, a lot of coaches hold on to their secrets. Like they've got the launch codes to nuclear weapons. What I really respect and admire about Jeff is he's not like that at all. He is very giving, willing to share. You reach out to him, I'd virtually guarantee you he's going to get back to you with some open, honest answers, you know. Uh, And I think, again, it's, we need to be approachable. And this kind of segues into my next suggestion is that people need multiple ways to connect back to your brand. Hmm. And when I say your brand, I don't necessarily mean the athletic program or the institution you represent. That's sure part of the picture, but the brand that is uniquely you coach, I'm speaking to you. Uh, There's so much, clutter in the market today cyberspace you, know, you think of all the different things that tug at our attention everyone's so distracted if you're just relying on a couple of ways to reach out and make people aware of you you're missing out yeah you know, i think that uh, you know the best example i can give you is something i actually learned from the person that wrote the forward to my book mm-hmm. and that's cowboy troy troy coleman and if you're not familiar with Cowboy Troy, talk about dominating and owning a space. He invented what he, he trademarked the term hip hop, and that's rap and country, a blender, a fusion of rap and country music. <laughs> if you've seen ESPN College Game Day yep, theme song Troy, and promo, you've seen Troy front and center in action there, six foot eight, 265 pound guy with a cowboy hat. Uh, but he explained to me something called the Law of Sevens. And this is kind of a key to success that he found is that people need at least seven ways to connect back, you know, your message to you. And you think about how we remember things, Dan, seven's kind of a lucky number in a few different ways. You know, what are some famous seven, seven wonders of the world, seven days in a week, Mm -hmm. seven deadly sins. But you know, it's kind of like putting multiple lines in a stocked pond if you're a recruiter. So, you know, the way Troy did it was he, you know, has hosted television programs like Nashville Star and USA Network. He tours right. a big and rich. He tours himself. But here again, yeah. I, as you're bringing up this example. It's exposure. Yeah, it, well, yeah. and it's, it's there again. You had somebody that took, okay, so country music, been around a long time. You got a certain way of yeah. doing it, certain sound and everything. And what he did was said, I'm going to be different. And it, I keep coming back to, as you're talking, 
this idea of you really have to be different. You have to be unique. And even if you're an assistant coach making barely enough to, to live on your and it's your first job and you don't feel like you know what you're doing, you know, to be that person that, you know, that, you know, is you have to do something different. And certainly your recruiting message, it has to be different than everybody else. And the way that you interact with mom and dad has to be different. So I keep coming back to that because Cowboy Troy is different in that niche, in that market. He has carved out his own unique setting. And I'll also say, maybe you can comment on this, not to take you away from mm-hmm. the, the steps that we're giving, but you know, when you're different, well, it kind of goes back to the, the you know, you know, fire coach tutor website domain that you're going to buy. That people <laughs> I already bought will, that, by the way. <laughs> I know that's not true. I have it, and I post to it regularly. I there's days where I should be fired, but um, but I guess that when you're different and when you achieve, you start achieving that success because of that difference, you're going to have people that don't like you because there's a whole mess of people that say. We don't want different. We want you to be miserable just like us. We want you to struggle just like we do. And so that's um, that. That just is it keeps that theme keeps coming back in my mind as I'm talking to you. So go ahead and and, and continue or wrap up the um, the uh, the steps. No, I was just gonna say, you know, uh, find a way to find at least seven different ways to connect people back, you know, in terms of who you are and what you do. And one of the things Troy does, he doesn't get national airplay for his music, but how can he get on the radio? Well, one of the things he does, he's a huge college sports fan and he, he knows more about college football than probably a lot of the talking heads on sports channels. He's a, a, a weekly guest on some sports talk shows during college football season. And that's something he went out and found and initiated himself. And I think it's something anybody can do. You know, I remember I heard Mark Mangino, uh, football, uh, he's retired now, I believe, isn't he? I believe so, uh, yeah. But uh, the former football coach, you know, when he, back when he was an assistant, I think it might have been like at Oklahoma. But uh, he was disappointed. He tuned into the sports talk radio, local sports talk radio show, and they're talking about one of the other teams in their market, one of their rivals. And he wanted to change the conversation. So he just called in under a different name. Like he was Joe or Dan Mm -hmm. or John or whoever. And said, Hey, you know, I'd really like to talk about Oklahoma and you know what they have going on. Speak. He changed the conversation. He took a chance that, Hey, maybe they won't, I'll disguise my voice a little (laughs) bit. Maybe they won't recognize me, but I'm going to get these guys in the media to stop talking about my competition and start talking about us. Right. And I just thought that was like that was genius, but most people wouldn't a put themselves out there to do that, or b even think to do that. So I think it's a great example. How are you changing the conversation from a recruiting standpoint? You know, in the minds of your prospects, and how are you staying top of mind? Because there need to be seven different ways. Right. Okay. So. Talk a little bit about uh, your topic at the the upcoming conference, the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference in June. Uh, we're we're very excited to have you back, uh, and you always bring probably one of the most creative, thought provoking talks every year. And so I'm anxious to hear about this year. What 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 is the what is the the title, and, and kind of what are you going to be giving college coaches that that uh, attend or watch it on video? 
Well, what did I do last year that you thought was so creative, Dan? <laughs> Something I mean, about penguins just, jumping set, off a ladder. You set the bar so high. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the year, the year before, what did I do? Hey, listen, there's been fire. There's been jumping off of ladders. There's been all sorts of stuff that I just hope, like, a hotel officials don't come in and watch you doing it, and it voids our insurance contract with the hotel or something. So... So this year, it's going to be a little different. And what I'm talking about is low-tech, high-touch. Why you want to be, I'm going to throw in a metaphor here, folks. Pay attention. Why you want to be a vinyl recruiter in a digital world. You want to be more like the vinyl record than you do, you know, the iTunes track. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Personally, I simply believe because today's such an instant, on-demand, fast-paced, high-tech world, I actually believe low-tech wins because there's so much clutter with technology. Yeah. Versus and automation and impersonalization. Yeah. Yeah. Versus that personal connection. Right. Absolutely. So my goal isn't to have someone in a penguin suit jump off a ladder, eat fire. My goal is just to make a personal connection with these folks. Right. And I'm really looking forward to NCRC, Dan. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be really, really good. And if you're a coach that's listening and it's uh, before the end of May, you still have time to sign up. You can go to dantutor.com and go to the conferences tab and all the information is uh, is there. Um, yeah, so. Can, can I put a plug you in can, for NCRC? Yeah. Per the theme of my talk, low-tech, t- low high-touch, like I really believe that's the value or the hidden value of an event like NCRC is the networking and the connections and speaking to other coaches to get some creative ideas, things that they're doing well that maybe you hadn't thought of or some different strategies on you know, how they qualify a prospect. I, I think so much of the learning doesn't take place listening to somebody like me on stage. It takes place, you know, uh, in the lounge over a cup of coffee or at dinner with a group of people and just hearing how different coaches in different sports operate and then continuing that conversation the other 364 days of the year until the next one. Uh, I, uh, I know I always learn a lot just sitting down and talking with some of the participants as a result. Right. That's the real value and why people should invest and go. I appreciate that. It's not an expense. It's an investment. No, I absolutely agree there. Because you get a return. Hey, to wrap things up, I wanted to ask you one last question, getting back into the the final sort of wrap-up for stadium status. And we'll post the link uh, where to buy the book and – and everything, um, you can look at it, obviously, at you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere online or anywhere that you get books. It's going to be available uh, there on the shelf or to order. Um, but I guess I'm wondering, the you know, we're talking about the, this achieving stadium status, and it's got to be, I'm maybe asking you, in the people that you talk to, it's got to be more than just achieving the goal or achieving you know whatever their definition of success is. And I, I guess I'm wondering, is there anything in the people that you talk to or just in the coaches that you know that you would have said they've achieved stadium status where it has become a, a, that it's been about something more than just the success or been about something more than just the, the money or the title? Um, because that can 
provided pretty empty returns. I mean, sometimes when you finally get the head coaching job, you realize that uh, all the all the guns are pointed right at you. And um, so I'm just I'm just wondering what you know, kind of what is there anything that you would sort of either caution coaches with or that you discovered that uh, maybe it was a little bit different in people's once they achieved it, it was a little bit of a different feeling than they were expecting. Sure. I think the first thing that the, the biggest lesson from these stadium status performers and the biggest lesson I learned in my book launch, launching this, this is my sixth book. And I launched it very differently than everything else I've ever done. The biggest lesson was these guys all have a lot of fun with what they do. And if you're not having it fun, you're not having fun, I think you're doing it wrong. I think that is the biggest lesson is when you go out on a limb and you do something a little different and creative, make sure there's an element of fun for you. Because so often as a coach, I know I did it, and most of my coaching peers that, that I'm still in touch with and friendly with, take themselves so darn seriously. Like if you're talking to another coach about X's and O's and you have to refer to it as matriculating the lacrosse ball down the field, <laughs> get old. And this is legitimately a conversation I had with someone a couple of months ago. They were talking about how they clear the ball. Not the ball, the lacrosse ball. Like get over yourself. Really? Just have fun. But so often we, we become uptight because it is a very cutthroat competitive results driven sure. business. And I actually think taking a step back and just making sure you're ha- if you're having fun, your players are having fun. And if your players are having fun, they're probably getting out of their own head and getting lost in just enjoying the process and being mindful and being present with what they're doing. And isn't that what you really want? Coach, that is going to wrap it up. I really appreciate you listening. And I want to also thank author, consultant, and all-around expert at recruiting and program development, John Brubaker, for lending time to talk about his new book. And I really recommend you go right now and go online or go to your bookstore and order Stadium Status by John Brubaker. It is going to be one of the best investments of development into your program that you can make. And it is a book that belongs on your shelf, Coach, so do it now. Until next time, I want to thank everybody for listening and get ready for more good stuff coming up in the future on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. i got to go now and catch an airplane.